You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Hello and welcome to another week of The Perth Property Show. As always, I'm your host, Trent Fleskins. Each and every week, we are talking with Perth's number one experts in their field relating to property. We've got Andrew Vaughan from Intelligent Home back in today, and we are talking about the all-encompassing concept of home automation. In the past, in the last few weeks, we've chatted about technology in audiovisual space, in the security space, in just as a general idea of what's going on in tech space for homes these days with the builders, with retrofits. But today, I wanted to have you in to talk about tying it all together. The idea of that movie Hitch that we all saw 10 years ago where they go into his apartment and he's turning on the TV, this, that's happening, there's someone talking to you, Siri somewhere else and it's all in our imaginations, I think, what we thought was going to happen when this Google Hub side of things came in and right now what it's doing for me is giving me Spotify music and setting alarms. <laughs> it's surely going to go so much further than that, right, Andrew? Oh, yes, most definitely. So it's great having all these smart products in our home. The key is bringing all these smart products together and actually having a smart home as opposed to just smart products in the home. So uh, we would look at that by putting in a control system What's this control system? Is it Google Hub? No, we would put in uh, what we would put in control for. You've so, spoken about that before. Yeah, so they're an automation company and they're about being an umbrella over the top of other smart products. So you can um, talk to, to all different them. different brands. It doesn't have to all be Samsung. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so they're designed to talk to many different products. You know, the last thing you want is a home where you're reliant on one system that if that system falls over, everything stops. Or if it becomes technologically redundant. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, or your needs change. So you want to make sure if you've got a, you know, you have your smart lighting system and it can be controlled by itself. It's not reliant on something else. You'll have your music system. You'll have your security system. You might have an intercom system that can unlock gates. This is all on one app or is it a different remote control that you've got sitting around or is it, you don't even need a controller. It's all, everything's just talking to itself and you can say, hey, control four, do this. Yeah, combination. So you can have uh, apps on uh, your smartphones, which you can potentially control away from the home as well, on tablets and screens with around the home. You could have schedules and things set up that can work in the background so you can have things happen, you know, lights turn on and off at certain times of days or blinds open or close or locks around your home lock without you even having to think about it. You can integrate voice control now as well. So you could have a scene which would uh, trigger a relaxed mode that might dim certain lights and turn on the sound system and you would know, that require um, microphones to be installed around the house you would need something like uh your alexa or your google home product so um, control 4 can sit on top of those products it can yeah it can in- integrate okay. with them all right yeah. you can even uh integrate it with say your alexa on your phone you know driving home ask alexa to do a welcome uh, home mode which might open the garage door as you're driving up and make sure the lights were on for you and make sure the aircon was turned on and set to the right temperature so you can um, say alexa i'm 10 minutes from home welcome me you, yeah you'd have a key, like that. you'd have a phrase a and, phrase, and yeah. that would and that would trigger that that mode that whole scene a whole automated process correct yeah if you didn't already have something in place that was scheduled at you know a certain time of day like seven o'clock turn on the front porch light and turn on you know your hallway lights but only if the sun was actually down so you know these systems have smart ways of tracking 
Wow, that's cool to think about. What do these things cost? I'm always talking about cost. I feel like every time I talk to you, my first question is how much is that going to be? <laughs> yeah, cost always comes into it. Yeah, so as a control four system, you'd have a, you'd say a base sort of cost of $1,500 for that brain, that processor that you know is the required, the hub, you could say. You've got some, you know, a little bit of base programming costs. Where it then goes is the cost of the other systems and what you're integrating because you'll have your, you know, if you're having a lighting control system, you know, what did that cost to do the house or how integrated greater the lights oh, well, um, is that a control four lighting system or is that a Philips system or control four do do their own lighting system uh-huh. they've got their own smart lighting wall switches they've got smart lighting pucks that can be retrofitted can talk to other third party so if you had Philips hue globes it can talk to that so there's a lot of systems that will talk to with the basic little drivers um, that allow it to talk to things yeah so it's uh designed Talking to, to Sonos it will talk to Sonos, it will yeah. talk to then Heos, it will talk to uh, all number of systems out there. It will Talking talk to-, to your security, Alarm.com. So Alarm.com will be separate, but um, Control 4 will integrate with the DSC system uh, via that app module. Okay. Um, so you can arm and disarm it remotely through the one app. What about my Griffin uh, or my Centurion garage door? Uh, yeah, there's ways of retrofitting. You know, we can tie things, uh, have sensors fitted to garage doors so we can track if the door's open or closed. And if the garage motor has a sort of um, a little relay contact, we can then trigger that door to open and close as well. So it can be So it's not about getting a whole brand new system just to automate the opening and closing? No. Okay. No, you, you, there are ways of retrofitting and, and tying in. Uh-huh. Yeah, These things obviously cost a bit of cash. But what I'm thinking of is some of those items you talked about, like making my blinds like you know, automated, for example. That would need new... Where do, where do you get automated up and down blinds? Oh, uh, look, you can get... Uh, you know, there's certain blinds which have wireless technology built in that um, will, although will have their own system to talk to, we can integrate with Control 4 and a lot of good blind companies out there, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll find we'll, we'll have these, whether they're battery operated um, for control or you can hardwire them. Yep. So, you know, the tech's actually in the, the motor itself. So, uh, so that's the thing. Yep, you can. What are motors? Um, what are things that can burn out? It seems motors can always be replaced. You know, yeah. they, you know. So you've always got the cost of the blind, but you know, um, pieces of hardware, motors, it's, they're not doing a lot. You know, they're they're Too making often, a blind yeah. go up and down. Yeah, um, true. So typically, they'll last a long time. We need to be mindful of how things wirelessly talk, and we have to design systems properly. And you know, there's a bit of assessment that goes on. You're asking about cost. We've done systems where we'll have you know an intercom that will come onto their phone away from the house that can tie into. A, a driveway gate that opens or a pedestrian gate or we might have a digital door lock tied into the same app so someone could come to their home press the doorbell that's at the front gate the person could from their phone see the person talk to them open the driveway gate disarm the alarm potentially open the front door for them and even turn on the tv or from their phone so yep. this person could just sit inside and wait for them um, is this all control for Control 4 can time with all of this. Why haven't I heard of this brand before? <laughs> it seems like it should be as prominent as Google and Samsung and Apple. That's some serious technology. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. And look, at a, at a cost, like, you know, you know, these systems, if we start tying in driveway gates and everything else into it and intercom and, you know, you, you could be, you'd be upwards of 10,000, you know, for a complete you know, system. It could be 10, 15 or more. But I guess um, the people that are really looking to go to that extent, especially for security purposes, their homes are pretty expensive homes in the first place so that's, around yeah, the $10,000 mark is probably rounding numbers on what we're what you're looking at for the final solution yeah and then everything's integrated and you know if the budget isn't there well you could start with a $1,500 base point 
and then go, great, well, I've got good control of my theatre or my sound system. I could easily tie in a few other little products and then I can uh, slowly build and add things as I need to or as I want to. So it doesn't have to be a big outlay initially, but it could be in the end, depending on what you want to do. What about things like uh, underfloor heating? And setting that scene again, it's just the ideas that are coming into my mind now. Sure. Are they, is there a really no limit? Anything that's controlled or is electronic can be triggered to be turned on or off? Is that where it's uh, going? Yes and no. So certain things like underfloor heating, you know, they're sort of things that you'd probably leave on a schedule and would leave it managed by its own system. You know, wouldn't really be a need to automate that per se. Possible, yeah. You, possible, but possible, probably a but, little bit crazy. Yeah, at some <laughs> at some point you draw the line and go, well, what do I really need to integrate, or what's being what's making my life maybe overcomplicated? So, Good idea, but probably it's just, never going to be used. Yeah, that's right. So some things you'll leave to, to themselves because they can manage themselves really well. Aircon systems, uh, well, a lot of been, them, aircon systems have been on timers for years, right? Yeah, that's so right. Operating remotely is where this this automation comes in. Uh, and look, a lot of the aircon systems will now have their own app and you can control away from the home and Great. you know, have your schedules and you, you don't have to tie in with automation at all. Where you might tie it in with automation is if you want it to turn on every day or be triggered by lights turning on or tying in with a certain scene and you want that all to maybe happen automatically as opposed to relying on the schedule of the aircon doing it. It probably comes down to the idea of just like you used to have five remotes on the coffee table with the one or entertainment system, maybe bringing it all back into the one app. Very one much remote. so. Okay. Yeah, that's the same as having five different smart devices, each with its own app, and then having open close apps to control each thing, as opposed to have one app that can then sit over the top of all of those. So you're just you're dealing with one sort of interface and playing with it. How easy would it be for people to have a bit of a touch and feel of this is it something that there are many companies in perth for example like intelligent home where you can trial it understand whether it's for you yeah definitely i'm sure many companies would control for is not exclusive to us there are other companies that use it we have it set up in the showroom so you can have a touch and play and see how things work and i'm sure other companies would do the same so it's definitely something you know you can have a look and see if it is for you or not i just want to harp back to this point i think one of the biggest things that most people are scared of when investing in technology is that it's going to become superseded in the space of a year and a half and they're going to have to buy a new a control five you know yeah it's just nothing's going to fit or if it you know if it does that you're missing out on two or three products until you go and buy the next idea here and look it's the same as iphones and all these sort of things they're built these days that they only last a couple of years and look that's okay when you've got a phone that might cost you a thousand bucks but we're talking here about integrating thousands of dollars worth of equipment that at some point they're all being updated incrementally yeah have you seen there being issues around that or has it been set up in a way by a company like Control4 where it's, no, it's just a firmware upgrade or it's all happening in the background and there's no upgrades at all? Yes, you're right. There will be firmware updates and hardware changes and computers get more powerful and can do more things. An update recently uh, changed the GUI, the display that people use, and it was a choice to upgrade. Um, you know, If you had a, an old iPad, for example, the software wouldn't on the iPad wouldn't support the new app. You know, just didn't doesn't purely have the processing power to deal with it and that affected all sorts of companies sonos for me was one at home uh, my old ipad wouldn't talk to the sonos system anymore because the ipad was too old so you to had to buy a new software. ipad yeah yeah correct um, yeah. To, um but i just ended up using it on my phone instead okay but the system uh so if you've got let's say a working control 4 system 
maybe one of their screens on the wall. Uh, that will keep working. There's no reason for that to stop working. Other products can still integrate. You might just work on the older interface, yeah. but it will still keep working. Okay. I can't imagine, that's the thing, I can't imagine that full home automation system going so quickly that you're left behind and having to retrofit again new systems. I would assume that with the technology we're in now, a lot of that back end is probably set up. It's just about the way that you approach it from the front end. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. How you control it. And you know, there are a lot of systems out there and lighting control goes back a, a long way. Those uh, systems are like your know, CBUS system, which have been around for 20 years, which were doing scenes and you could press one button that would turn on many lights and off you know, with one button push. Uh, we can integrate those with these control systems and they're quite old systems that have been around okay. that are still still being quieted and still very good in the new homes as well got a lot of new wireless lighting products as well that can be integrated and that space is always growing and changing and a bit of a combination of both now hard wired and wireless yeah so yeah it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that new products can't be integrated but old products can as well okay um, so if i'm getting a new home if i'm going to a builder that control four system coming in is it something you know, we've spoken about this concept before but is it something that's better to get involved in straight away or is it really up to you what time in your ownership cycle you integrate in that system is it super costly to retrofit these things as a bring all the apps together i would have thought that really once you've got a few of these things going adding that extra layer of a control for shouldn't be that hard in terms of hardware. It sounds like a software solution. So you'll have your, your hardware or processor, which will ideally be plugged into an internet point somewhere. So if we're looking at getting homes prepared, it comes back to making sure there's a reasonable infrastructure in place, You know, a few data points around the home. Ideally, the control for brain will live with a TV or theater system somewhere. So if you have a data point there, then yep, easy enough to add that hardware later. Once the hardware's in place, yes, it's all software and, and things that happen um, on your sort of tablets and smart things. Okay, so it's not um, a now or never? No, not at all. It's just a little bit of preparation can go a long way to making things much easier for you and what you can do in the future. Last point in this conversation, Andrew, do you have any super quirky, fun fact, imagination things of where you see things being in the next five to 10 years in this space? What are you excited about as a concept? Is it integrating VR into your entertainment systems? Is it... Uh, think well, what, I can't even imagine. I'm guessing that you're looking at things every day on in that stratosphere that I wouldn't have a clue about and most of the listeners wouldn't either. I just see things becoming just more and more integrated. Things happening in the background without us even having to think about it. Whereas we're doing voice control now, how far will things go where it's just you walk into a home and everything just turns on without you having to do much integration and programming, you know, with, you know, where these scenes are built into products and I think uh, an expectation will eventually for smart lighting control and smart products will just be the normal. It won't be a, it won't be a fad, it won't be... It'll be built into our it, culture and our way of living as well, won't it? It would just be an expectation as opposed to a a fun gadget. It's just going to be part of everyday life, whether we like it or not, or try and resist. I think it's going to be something that it's just going to be there. Every room will have a microphone and we'll just eventually get used to the idea of it being there. Being listened to. Yeah. No, (laughs) I think you're very right. It might not be something that we haven't imagined yet. It would just be really, we're only scratching the surface on some of these technologies like voice control, voice uh, commands. I think it would be less than a couple of percent of homes in Western Australia that would have any significant level of voice control integration. 
really. And yeah. it would probably be maybe 10 years from now that most of us are using a significant number of our products are electronics through voice command because we've got that accessibility now yeah whether it's voice or even facial recognition you know yeah, it, um well. it sees a particular person come home and knows door automatically this, opens yeah or this or that person likes this particular music playing and they always go to this room in the house and want these lights turning on on the way to the you know that that's where it starts so maybe be a little bit scary and a little yeah. bit fun <laughs> with this technology tracking us but you know, that, that's yeah yeah very much so uh but look the face tracking technology is there you know it's it's out in the world it's just how long it takes to really integrate into the homes and there are you know uh, systems that can recognize your face and unlock a door imagine a day Um, where we don't have keys anymore for a front for a house i mean cars have already got to that point in the luxury space well no we can be there you know we have digital door locks which you can um, but as a as a as a broad spectrum where it's an option to have a key yes yeah right now it's an option to have your rfids or those sort of things but the day when we don't have a key to lock, unlock our house as the norm. Yeah, well, as the norm, I think it's the key because yeah. you can get um, digital door bolts which can just literally palm and then enter your code and, and not have a key and that will let you in the house. Yeah. You can do facial recognition that will do the same. So you can potentially be keyless if you wanted to. It's actually um, now surprising to think that this hasn't been permeating through society much quicker then because you're right, there, ha- there are, you just named a few of them of these different technologies as ways to enter your home securely, possibly yeah. more securely than a, a deadbolt uh, or than a key, I should say, because they've still got the deadbolts behind them. That's right. Um, yeah. Why hasn't it started to pick up? Is it because people don't trust the technology and they think they're going to be locked out of their own house? Oh, look, I, I definitely think it... The power know, some turns of that, off? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, and luckily, the digital door bolts are battery operated. So if the power turns off, you can still get in. Yep. But yeah, there's always going to be a fear factor there of technology and, you know, everyone watching everything or being hacked. Yep. You know, security is obviously a very important thing with the technology, which your big companies take very seriously. But there's always going to be that reserved nature that, well, I, I don't want my house being hacked and someone taking control of it. So I, th- I think, you know, it's, it would take a while to build people's confidence before it's just going to becoming every day there it is andrew i think we've i'm making the call then straight up 10 years from now a much higher proportion of people will not be using keys to enter their house (laughs) good call there's one (laughs) uh let's see if it works we'll be back in 10 years all right (laughs) andrew thank you very much for this chat it's been a fun one uh we'll talk more on home smart technology when we uh, think of a new idea sure sounds great cheers mate okay this week we are talking about joondalup Big suburb, a lot of people. It's also the name of one of Perth's biggest and best councils as well. Very progressive council, moving a lot in that development space and also in that demographic space. Big changes throughout the whole area over the last 30, 40 years in terms of growth, but also in terms of uh, schooling, sporting environment as well. So lots to talk about. We've got one lady to talk about this suburb with. It's Stella McLean. Thank you very much for coming in. It's only my pleasure. Stella, let's talk about a bit of history, a little bit of what it means to be a Joondalup resident as a, as a suburb. Why do people live there? Why do people move there? For a start-off, it's a very, it is a progressive area and it's also an area that is very mixed. There's a lot of Australians that have been up there for a long time, but because it's very new and over the last 30 years has grown very quickly. There's a lot of immigrants that have found that that's a very good place for them to start. Sounds like you're one of them. I am. I'm a, I call myself a mongrel okay. and I do that with great purpose. I'm Yorkshire born and bred. 
so I can do the year bagum. I was brought up in the south of England and I lived in South Africa for 25 years. That sounds like a story that would not be too dissimilar to many thousands of stories in your local area. Well, that's why I'm extremely comfortable there and hopefully that's why they're extremely comfortable with me. As I say, it's a, it is, I would say, about 50% of the people I deal with are migrants. They're migrants from the UK with a lot of Irish, a lot of English. The second batch of um, migrants we see are neighbours over the ditch in New Zealand. But they tend to only buy once they've been there about five to six, seven years because New Zealand's quite close. It's easier to go home. And then obviously the third big lot is my other half, which is the South African Zimbabweans. And they are very much a people that when they move, there is no going back. So they move and stay. So Jundalup as as a city and as a suburb is very much a conglomerate of people, very much the Australian base that they've been there for a while, but also... uh, a big growth is caused by this emigration of people, especially about six or seven years ago when we had that infamous 457 visa. I would say probably 50-60% of the people that I was selling to at that time were people on, on a 457 visa or people who had just finished the 457 visa and had en- eventually become a permanent resident. What do you think attracts them to up as opposed to the city of Bayswater, the city of Stirling, the city of uh, Melville. It seems that a very high percentage of especially British Isles emigrants come to Perth, come straight to the city of Joondalup. Is it the beaches? Is it following their mates and families? What is it? A lot of it is following your mates and family. In South Africa, there is actually a phrase for emigration. It's called packing for Perth. And a lot of people pack for Perth because it's a mining community. So is Johannesburg a mining community. It's all very similar, very engineering, that kind of thing. When you look at Perth as a whole, it's more traditional around the city. There's people who have been there for years. Their family have been there for years. Their establishment. Exactly. Whereas when you go that bit further north, anything from a Mount Warwick North, their newer suburbs. And a lot of the UK people have lived in an older house. They've lived in homes that are 100, 200 years old, or those terrible kind of 60s houses that were part of the boom of English building. And they're looking for a newer type of home. The fascination of living close to the sea is large. And Jundlup is, what, seven k's from the ocean? Wherever you are in terms of a north distance from Perth, you're always close to the beach when you're in the city of Jundlup. Correct. And the other thing also is, you know, people from the UK, they're used to travelling to work. To travel an hour a day to work, don't mind it. It's more of a priority to be close to the beach, close to where their children are at school, where they're comfortable and where there is an, an environment of a cross-section of migrants as well as people who have been there for a long time. So they don't feel as though they're on the outer. They feel as though they're part There's of... There's a level of comfortability, of familiarity, but also of that new venture of having Australia's best factors and best lifestyle options as well. Absolutely. And what Jindalup has done very well is sporting facilities, for example. We have the HBF Arena, which used to be called the Jindalup Arena. The sports there, there's a lot of what I would call football, what you would call soccer. Um, 
there's a lot of rugby union, there's a lot of AFL, all moving in those kind of sporting facilities. So people who are coming from the various different countries can find themselves very comfortable in the area. Let's talk more specifically about why you would live in the suburb of Joondalup as opposed to the council of Joondalup. Why would we move specifically into the suburb of Joondalup as a buyer? The suburb of Joondalup, in inverted commas, can be very much split into three sections. The first section is very close to the city centre, and by city centre I mean Jindalup. I live, breathe, sleep, walk and talk Jindalup. Um, so that's where your your flats are, your um, apartment sections, and that's where the development is in the city at the moment. Um, is this surrounding the university in Lakeside? Yes, it is. Um, there's also the Art House, which is a 17-storey building. It's the first tall building that we've had up there. Those are apartments generally, I would say, about 70% of those apartments previously in history have been bought by developers and by investors and probably 30% bought by owner-occupiers. That's not fundamentally where I spend my time. There is a second section of Jindalup, which is the traditional suburb. You know, that's where you get your three-by-ones and your four-by-two homes. Sitting on high 600-square-metre lots? Yeah, anything from about six to close to 900-square-metre blocks. The traditional Australian family home, you know, picket fences, schools, that kind of thing. And then your third section is what we refer to as City North, which is... If you're looking at the city of Joondalup, it's to the western side where the lake is. And that was developed about 15-odd years ago. And the view was that it would become the Subiaco of the north. By that, I mean the blocks are quite small. They're anything from 400 to 450 square metres. But the houses are large. Double-storey, three, four-bedroomed houses, big rooms, tiny gardens. Boundary-to-boundary building, not a lot of side setback. Correct. They do have about a metre on either side, but I would say probably the house takes up, including the alfresco, about 85-90% of the square metreage of the property. What has actually happened is quite odd with this kind of section. It's really become the market for the 50-plusers. It's become the empty nest market. So once people, once their children have left home, they're sitting there with their four-by-twos with a study on eight, hundred square meters and lots of garden lots of work and the swimming pool and going well we don't use that anymore where do we move and uh, my experience with Jindalup is a lot of people don't move very far Mm. they'll move about three four five k's because of the infrastructure that they've got used to and they'll move towards infrastructure they will move towards the infrastructure so what they will do is downsize not necessarily the inside square meterage of the house, but they will downsize the block size. So they'll end up in these large townhouse-type properties comfortably because there's space for the children to visit, there's space for the grandchildren to visit, and yet they can walk to the shops, walk to the cinema, walk to the restaurants. And then obviously on the other side of Joondalup is the lake, the Yellowgonga National Park, which as you get older, you do want to walk more. So there is that kind of feeling of living in the city and living in the country and they'll walk from either side. So it's a pretty, it's a complex suburb of such. If we're living in Joondalup, where are we sending our kids to school? If you're living in the suburb of Joondalup, which is north of Moore Street, there is a very, very good primary school in there. 
the Jindalup Primary School. It's about 500 pupils. It's it's a big primary school. It's rather large, yeah. It is, but it's also one of the top primary schools. A lot of people send their children there. Right next door to that, obviously, is the arena. Right next door to that is the Lake Jindalup Baptist College, which has, for the first time, got into the top 20 schools. It's a private school, but fees are about eight to nine thousand dollars a year so it's not one of those really expensive private schools but the quality of the education is good and that's running through from start of school till the end there are a few high schools around the feeder high school for Jundalapis Belden which has come up quite considerably in the last four to five years there is also Ocean Reef and then the Kinross College which only goes up to year 10. So there are a lot of different educational institutions. Obviously, we've got ECU, our own university in our own back garden, which is really good because they put a lot of time and effort into the area and it makes it a progressive feeling of your child from going to primary school to high school to the local university. We've also got a lot of TAFEs. The West Coast TAFE. So if your child is more into fixing trucks and cars and the technical side of things, that can be done there as well. So They're really planning to try and make this town centre as self-sufficient as possible so that it, you know people can live their life in that city of Joondalup without having to connect into the city as often as they used to. What they've also done is they have brought in new buildings into the city of Joondalup, which were formerly in the Perth City Centre. We ha- now have uh, the Department of Environment and various other different governments. Yes, decentralising them. Yep. Ha- having people who are commuting from Joondalup every day to get into the city go, well, let's just leave you out there. Let's mm-hmm. keep working there. You're five minutes from home. Well, exactly. They did it originally with Langate going out to Midland. Now they've got the Department of Environment. They've done that with Coburn as well with a few yep. uh, departments too. Makes well, sense. It does. Helps with congestion. It- it, it does because it then makes that people don't have to commute into the city. Also, obviously, we've got the industrial areas of Wangara just down the road. Also, you know, there's the lime pits uh, further up towards Karabuda. So there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on. And I tell you, if you think roadworks works are bad in Perth, you need to go to Jindalup. They are widening all the roads, big roundabouts, huge construction. Because the population is growing so big, and our sister city, Wanneroo, is growing even bigger. Let's talk about some nitty-gritty now. Let's talk mm-hmm. about numbers. If we want to buy in, and as you said, most that are buying in Joondalup are either from Joondalup or from somewhere else in a different country. Mm-hmm. I rarely see someone come from Bayswater to go live in Joondalup, to be no. frank. Uh, you know, this is a, it's very much an insular spot now, and it's, and, it's, and it's on purpose. So if people are paying for product here they're generally either downsizing or upsizing within the suburb or within the local area right Uh, there's a lot of people who have grown up with the 800 square meter block house um, the traditional home evaporative air conditioning big master bedrooms three small beds believe it or not 20 years ago a child could live in a single bed with a desk in a room nowadays what we find is they want bigger bedrooms, queen-size beds, and then they'll move to a newer suburb, a tapping, hocking, one of those on the other side of the lake. The second that those children get to an age of about 8, 9, 10, where they need infrastructure, they need to get to school on the bus and what have you, very often that's when they come back to the traditional suburbs like Jindalup because we have two train stations. We have all the buses that you could possibly want. So as soon as the infrastructure is required, they come back. And then 
realistically, they don't move until the downsize happens. So what are you paying? If I've come to you and said, Stella, I need you to find me the cheapest place in the suburb of Joondalup right now. Don't care what it is. What would it be? For a one-by-one apartment in Joondalup, you're paying about $275,000, $280,000. Are these fairly new? They can be anything from about 17 years to about 14 years old. So they're perfectly livable. They're not derelict and run down, but they are small. If you were looking for a two-by-two, for example, you're probably around the 300 320 mark. Not a big uh, difference there. No. And the three bedrooms, you can be anything from about... 350 to 400. That's affordable apartment living mm-hmm. with the same amenities that many people could only ever ask for or need. Let's move into that housing space now. If I'm looking for a family size block, what's the cheapest I can be buying into? If you were looking for a three by one starter home on a 600 square meter block in the suburb, you're probably looking between about 375 and $400,000. dollars so you're in first home buyer's stamp duty territory still? Correct. That's great. Do you see a lot of that? Um, not as much as I would anticipate, to be quite honest. I think initially because of the amount of, should we call it entertainment, that happens in the city, we tend to find that people initially go into apartment living closer to the city of Perth. What I find is it's very often when they pair up or partner up for the first time that we see that purchasing of the three-by-ones as the starter home. Then we obviously get get your upgrade, which is when you start looking at a four-by-two, middle-of-the-road four-by-two. I mean, in Jindalup, you can pick these up for anything from 450 to $500,000, $520,000, and they are nice homes. They're the kind of homes which, what we say in the industry, if the bones of the home are good, and you can upgrade it as much as you like. And then obviously... Probably a very middle-class home that most of us have all grown up in. Correct, yeah. And then obviously what happens over and above that is you end up anything from about 550 to about the end of the 600s, you will get a really comfortable, nice 4 by 2 home with a study, with a swimming pool on 800 square metre blocks that are elegant, really nice homes to live in and your children will be comfortable and they will be able to get everywhere without you fetching and carrying them. Is the differential of who's buying these really just dependent on the level of income and equity these buyers have got? Is their walk of life and their needs fairly similar? It just dependent on how well they do in their job or how much they've saved. Is that really determining to what level they're buying in? Not really. To be quite honest, you'll get the plumber living next door to the doctor living next door to whoever. I think it's a case of once they are there people tend to stay quite predominantly. So you'll have somebody who's been there 25 years next door to somebody who's been there two or three years. So I think it's more a case of people who are comfortable with the environment rather than what can I afford. If it's a cash-driven or money-driven purchase, then I I think they tend to go further north, believe it or not, there is further north in Joondalup. Of course, there's a good 20 (laughs) minutes further north these days. Uh, at least, yeah. You know, if it's driven by money, then they'll probably go even further north to Eglinton, Alkamos, that kind of thing. Jindalup is driven by somebody who wants a comfortable environment, an environment that looks established that you've got, for example, big trees, you've got good shops, you've got good schools, you've got nice roads and what have you. And there is not a lot of building uh, when I say that in the suburbs. So there's not that living on a building site. So how they're really not buying to... for price here in Joondalup. They're buying for lifestyle. 
If they weigh in for price, there are many other options in very similar demographics, closer to the beach and whatnot. They are even cheaper if you wanted it to be. There are, and this is this is my quandary as a bit, is I think Joondalup, without doubt, is one of the best value for money suburbs there is. There are suburbs that are perceived to be cheaper, like your Padbury or your Craigie, but they're actually not. They are probably the same price, if not slight, slightly more expensive, but the value for money you get in some of these suburbs is nowhere near as good as the value you get there. It's in almost terms like, of amenity. Yeah. It's almost like we're a hidden secret because we get put under that umbrella of the city and people don't actually realise that there is There's suburban living. behind it, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about development. Joondalup obviously has its town centre development, which mm-hmm. is probably and most likely inaccessible to most people that aren't developing at an institutional level. Mm-hmm. In terms of your mum and dad developers who are going out there trying to make a buck on a subdivision level, the city of Joondalup obviously a few years ago, or I think it's three and a half years ago, yeah. rezoned the uh, whole of the council, including the suburb of Joondalup. Can you explain to us how the suburb was affected by that rezoning and where you see some of that zoning changing as well as evidence of development in the suburb of the last couple of years? The city of Joondalup put in 10 different sites where they changed the zoning. They changed it from what we call an R20 to an R40 to an R60. All that means is that you can put more houses on the same size block. To talk the suburb of Joondalup, close to the Currambine train station, uh, to the east of the train station, is a development area. So there's about 600 homes that have been rezoned from R20 to R60, which means the maximum size houses are, well, it's on average about a 181 square metre block. So you can get three to four houses on those blocks. What we are seeing there is we are seeing investors buy those blocks and rent them out for five six seven years and then looking at development so in you're the not future. seeing a lot of people actually going getting on with it and they doing are, these new they have started now are uh, probably about 10 to 15 are actually being worked on at the moment but i kind of get the feeling that people are going to wait until they see the market pick up but i have myself sold about maybe 20 30 of those blocks to developers and they are hanging on to them until the market increases i've just sold two recently um to a developer who's going to put more properties on but also what is happening is your mum and dad develop uh, your mum and dad person are coming in and talking to people like myself and saying right I have an 800 square meter block. What does it mean? How many houses can I put on? Which, it it always sounds as though they're going to make a lot of money up front. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And then you get to the stage of, yes, but you've got to do the um, splitting of the electricity and the fencing. Oh, you've got all the subdivision works that erode the revenue. And people very easily all the time assume that it's a $2,000 application fee and next week you're subdivided. Yes. It's not how it works. So what I generally tend, if you can do that without it impacting the house that is on the block, right, idea to do it. Is there many options in Joondalup for that, though? Yes, there is. There's been about, there's probably about 10 to 15 people. Doing the retain and builds. That have done this subdivision of a uh, battle axe type block on the back and then flattened it out and sold those blocks. Those blocks go for a about two hundred thousand dollars, anything from about two twenty-two to about two forty square meters. So that is an option. And what we have seen, which is quite nice, is mum and dad maybe are on the front, and the kids have 
got the back block so that they can build the newer, more aspirational house and yet mum and dad are still close by. Keeping it in the family. Absolutely. So we've seen that as well as people who are hanging on to them because there is still value in the house. And to get the really strong redevelopment cost, you've got to knock the house down. So um, we haven't seen a lot of those yet, but they will come. Not a profit differential sitting Mm. there just now because there's too much value in the existing house. Correct, yeah. Makes sense. Well, look, it sounds like something that over the next five to ten years will become more of an option as those houses continue to depreciate and the demand for living around that Joondal Uptown Centre between there and the Carabine train station increases. So you'll see that multiple of three especially in terms of value if you're doing a triplex start to make those numbers make sense and people start to be able to not only buy that development block but then see out that development all the way through to developing into three triplex units for Stella McLean to sell. Hopefully that's exactly what will happen but as I say it is it is happening now and it's almost kind of an anticipation type thing that people are they're all ready to go and everybody is just waiting for this. And I think the second you start seeing a shifting market, you'll see a lot of bulldozers coming out and what have you. But having said that, the opposite of that is some people don't want to live in a environment where there is quite a bit of building and what have you. So there's a lot of people who have sold or wanting to sell their large four by two to get out of there to stay within the family environment and then obviously you have investors picking those properties up as well Stella McLean last question of the day the median house price in June up what is it that's how long is a piece of string it goes up and down every day on average I would say it's about 470 480 okay so for four seventy five thousand dollars if Stella McLean had that in her handbag as she walked in today what would you be buying with that money in Joondalup me personally I would be buying one of those development the, the blocks that has the potential to develop if we are talking money if we're talking from a money point of view I would be buying a block that is in an R60 zone that's on a corner. If you are saying to me... For 475 that's the available? Yes. Yep. yep. If you are saying to me, as a mother of two children, what would I be buying? I wouldn't be buying in the development area. I would be buying a comfortable 4 by 2 home that has the potential that in a couple of years I could knock the kitchen down and make a nicer kitchen, etc., etc. Got a favourite street for us? If you're going to be buying that for yourself? Oh, I'd love to buy in Satoma Court, but I couldn't afford it because they're all a million dollar houses. I've got two, if I can have them. They are both quiet streets that you would never know was were there unless somebody like me told you. I think Val Grove is a really nice street because it's quite high up. And you've actually, believe it or not, got sea views out of quite a few of the properties there. There's another road called Snowbird Gardens, which is the same thing. You get sea views. You're just looking for somewhere which is nice, handy, close to the shops, and very, very pretty, and they are there. Stella McLean, what a very insightful and broad discussion today. Thank you very much for coming in and chatting Joondal up. And uh, when you've got a chance, go and get number one of another suburb so we can chat again. <laughs> that would be my pleasure. Thank you, but I'm stuck with Joondal up. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!